0: In this Christmas season, by looking at this birth narrative in the Gospel of Luke, but before we do that, let me let me pray for us. God, I I do ask, in the midst of this um, somewhat frantic week and season, that you would grant me the grace by your Spirit to proclaim good news good news about the birth of the Messiah, and that we would hear it as good news, and that that good news would change us. We pray these things for Christ's sake, for your glory, and for the life of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Happy New Year. It's 2017. That sounds kind of weird. Is that weird to say? I always think it's weird to write on my checks, like actually write checks. I used to think that it was weird to write on my checks 2017, but it is a new year, and it's that time of year when people make resolutions. Made any resolutions? Resolutions. Uh, to make a resolution is, is actually to hope, is to think that change is possible, which is no small thing in our cynical age. And even if you didn't make a resolution, only the most cynical among us aren't hoping for something in 2017. What are you hoping for? If you're here this morning, then my guess is that you're hoping to see God at work in your life. Whether or not you consider yourself a Christian and are convinced that God exists or you aren't Don't consider yourself a Christian and you're wondering about God. uh, If you are here this morning, then there's a pretty good chance that your hope is to see God at work in your life. For some of you, that means convincing you that he actually exists, that he's real. But for all of us, whether we are convinced that he exists or whether we're still wondering, for all of us, it is to have him work in such a way where we know that he is with us, that he's for us. That he loves us. What are you hoping for? And what would it look like for God to work in such a way that you know that he is with you and for you and that he loves you in 2017? What would it mean? It's the new year. It's also still Christmas Did you know that? The eighth day of Christmas, to be precise. Those don't start back in Advent, no matter what the commercials tell you. It's the eighth day of Christmas, so remind your true love. They might give you something. Okay, that's lost on everyone. (laughs) Pam's not in here, so... It's the eighth day of Christmas, and so we have uh, continuing on looking at the Christmas story, and it was read from the Gospel of Luke. The story begins with, in verse 1, with a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, it's a census, from this guy named Caesar. Caesar actually isn't his name. Caesar is not a first name of a guy who likes salads. Caesar... It's a title, like president. It's the title of the Roman emperor. And he is taking a census, and notice that he's taking a census of all the world. You see, at that time, the Romans ruled all the known world. And and that includes the Jews. If you want to know something about the inconvenience that this would have been, even the oppressive nature of it. We get a little window into it in verses 3 and 5 when we see Joseph and Mary in late-term pregnancy who have to travel quite some distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, Of course, being ruled is not something that was unfamiliar to the Jews at that time. Uh, Jews had been... Jews had been ruled for some 500 years. First, it was the Babylonians, and then the Assyrians. After the Assyrians, it was the Greeks. After the Greeks, it was the Seleucids. After the Seleucids, it was the Romans. See, the Jews were used to being oppressed, to being ruled by a foreign enemy, by a foreign power, and to be ruled by some foreigner meant that you were abandoned. By God. That He was not with you. That you felt God forsaken. Because that's what all the Old Testament said. If you break my covenant, I will give you over to another nation and I will leave you. And so the Jews at that point in time, they felt God forsaken and they were being ruled by the romans the romans who were known for being able to keep the peace the pax romana and you know how they kept the peace they had an interesting way of doing it anytime anyone resisted their rule they would put two pieces of wood together they would beat that person strip them naked and then hang them on a cross. Crucifixion, it was called. And, uh, and it was a death so humiliating that Roman citizens, they were not allowed to be crucified. But you know who, who, were, who was crucified? Jews. Tens of thousands of Jews were crucified. Crucifixions all the time. Sometimes 600 in a day. Well, Joseph and Mary—they are ruled by the Romans. Joseph—he is a carpenter. I wonder if he had to make any crosses. We don't know. Probably. Probably. And and, and crucifixion—it was particularly—it was particularly painful for a Jew, not just because of how many Jews were crucified, but because. Well, their scriptures, their Bible, and Deuteronomy twenty-one, it said, Cursed by God is the one who hangs on a tree. And so, if four, if five hundred years of foreign rule wasn't enough to convince the Jews that they had been God forsaken, well, crucifixion, it drove home the point. I wonder if you can relate. Maybe not to crucifixion and maybe not to foreign rule, but maybe 2016 felt like a year where you were abandoned by God, God forsaken. Where are you, God? And do you love me? And are you with me and are you for me? Because it doesn't feel like it. And if that's the case, then you especially in 2017 are hoping that God would do something and He would work in some kind of way so that you would know that He was with you and He was for you and He loved you. Monday night, Pam and I were sitting on the couch and we were talking and she looked at me and she said, 2016 has been a horrible year. It's been a painful year. She actually used words that were more cutting than that. Maybe you feel like that, and maybe you feel like us, and you're hoping for something for God to work in such a way that He would show that He is He's here. Well, the Jews, they, they had a hope. They were not without hope. In fact, they believed based on their prophets, prophets like Isaiah, that, that God would send a child born in the line of great King David and that that child would, would rule. He would be the Messiah. We, we hear of this hope in verse 10. It's announced to the shepherds This good news that someone born from the house and lineage of David would be a savior, a rescuer, a redeemer, a deliverer who is Christ. That is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord. The Lord, what Caesar called himself. That is that the Messiah, he would come and he would rival Caesar. And it said that of his government and the increase of his government, there would be no end. And that his his rule would be one of... Justice and righteousness and deliverance. Well, at that time it was crystal clear what that meant. For the Messiah to come. It was crystal clear what to expect. You see, if the Messiah was to come, then what he would do is he would he would conquer the Gentiles, he would crush them, he would break them into pieces, Psalm 2 said. He would dash them into pieces. And it would no longer be Jews who were crucified. It would be Romans. Because that's justice. Because they crucified the Jews so much. See, they knew what would happen. They knew what to expect. God would come and he would come in the form of a Messiah and the Messiah would rule and the Romans would be taken down and the Jews would be lifted up. And they would share in the spoils. They would be rich and healthy and happy. It was really clear what to expect. God would save them from the Romans. You know, I I wonder if our hopes are all that different. We don't use those words. We don't talk about Messiah's coming to rule in their government. We don't talk about we don't talk about foreign enemies being oppressed necessarily. We don't call it by these names. No, we we call it we call it contentment, satisfaction. We call it a clean bill of health. We call it we call it a new relationship. We call it a promotion. We call it a different job or a better job. We call it all these things. We call it health and wealth and prosperity. Is it really all that different than what they were looking for? Is it really all that different than their expectations? See, they knew what story to expect when the Messiah came. But Luke, he tells a very different story. He tells a very different story. It starts there in verse 6. We read that Joseph and Mary they travel from from Nazareth to Bethlehem and while they were there they came uh, the time came for her that is Mary to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end Now the first place where we see a difference a striking a stark difference between what Everyone expected to happen, and what did happen was in the setting. I mean, just notice the city names. We expect to read about the Messiah coming, and we should hear about maybe Rome or Jerusalem, or at least Antioch, or some important city, maybe Damascus. But no, we hear about Nazareth. Did anything good come out of Nazareth? And Nazareth doesn't really ring a bell for you. It didn't ring a bell for people there. Well, it rang a little bell. It rang the same bell that... It rings when I say Barstow. Can anything good come out of Barstow? That's Nazareth In Bethlehem. It was even worse. It wasn't even on the map. It was a one-stop town. Uh, who would stop by? Uh, you say, whoa, "Whoa! It was the. It was the. It was the. It was the city of David." Yes, it was the city of David. But David didn't live his life there. He was just born there. I'm from Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee. It's known for a couple things. It's known for barbecue. Uh, it's, known for, um, it's known for music. It's the city of Elvis. If you, were, if you were to be in Memphis in August, you would see some 30,000 Elvis fans descend, park out right in front of Graceland. And at eleven o'clock they could go in and they could they could see they could see the grave because the king said don't let them in till eleven. And so they sit there and they wait with their candles. They dress up. It's really an amazing thing. You should go sometime. <laughs> <sighs> if you're looking for vacation ideas. <laughs> if you realize that the pastor, you know, sold me one. Then maybe you might say, you know, I'm going to do some more interesting things in the South. I'm going to take a tour, and I'm going to go down to Birmingham. Maybe see some of the civil rights history. If you were going to go from Memphis to Birmingham, you would pass a town called Tupelo. Anyone know anything famous about Tupelo? No. You don't, except for Van Morrison singing Tupelo Honey, which is amazing. But as you're going, you would see a sign. It's not about Van Morrison. It's not about Tupelo Honey. It says, birthplace of Elvis Presley. It's the city of Elvis. Do you know how many Elvis fans flock or descend to Tupelo? None. Yes, Bethlehem was the city of David. But that didn't mean much. In fact, if you want to know how little it meant, we... We read in verse 7 at the end that there was no place for them in the inn, but that's a little bit of a misnomer because the town wasn't big enough to have an inn. That's a mistranslation. It's a house. This would have been the house that Joseph and all his family, when they came, an extended family, stayed in. And there would have been two rooms, one room for all the people and the other room for the animals. And they would have been there like in a big tent And so Joseph and Mary go, and they go with their family, their extended family, to be there. But it says that there was no place for them in the home. No room. And so they go out into the room to be with the animals. We call it a stable. Maybe that's the closest thing that we can think of in our culture. Why did Joseph and Mary have to sleep outside? Why didn't they sleep inside with the rest of them? This isn't the Holiday Inn. It's not that the room was booked out. This is their family. Was it because she was pregnant? Was it because she was pregnant out of wedlock? We're not sure. Whatever was the case, they were clearly marginalized. Maybe some of you feel that way. We've just come out of the holidays. We've been visiting family. And some of you, I know, feel like strangers in your own family. Marginalized. That place that's supposed to be home and it doesn't feel like home. It's so terribly hard. That's Joseph and Mary. You know, the angels announced to them that they were blessed. But I wonder if they felt blessed in that moment. I wonder if they felt blessed when they were outside in the stables. I wonder if they felt like God was with them and for them and loved them. I mean, is this what it's supposed to be like? They're carrying the Messiah. And yet there they are. I doubt they felt blessed. I'm guessing they felt more abandoned, overlooked slighted and not just by their family but by God don't you see us God and why are we having to have this baby outside and why are we why are we so alone let's just think for a second about what happens next we hear that She gave birth there to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Just think about how God appeared to them. Did they ever expect that God was going to appear to them to reveal himself to them there? There, in a stable, yes, in a stable. No one expected for God to reveal himself in a stable. Maybe a palace, but not a stable. But more than that, there in their marginalization, in their loneliness, in their isolation, there, there. That's where he revealed his presence to them. There in their poverty. Financial poverty, yes. But relational poverty as well. There was no room for them in the home. Where do you expect to find God? Would you expect to find God there in your poverty in 2017? Do you expect to find God in your relational poverty, in your isolation? Do you expect to find God in your family dysfunction? Do you expect to find God in your isolation? Do you expect to find God when in your hard luck? Do you expect to find God when you can't make ends meet? Do you expect to find God when you've been kicked out of the home? Do you expect to find God there? I'm guessing this isn't what many of us hope for. I'm guessing this is what many of us are looking to when we say that we want to see God at work in our lives and we want him to be with us and for us in 2017. We aren't looking there, but that's where he appeared. To Joseph and Mary in their poverty. And that's where he appeared to the shepherds as well. In verse 8, we read that in the same reason, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. In many ways, shepherding was a common profession. In many ways, it was an exalted profession insofar as it was a profession that was used throughout the Hebrew Bible, throughout the, the Scriptures, to draw analogies analogies between God and his people. But it wasn't a very envied posi- uh, profession because if you were a shepherd, it meant you were a peasant. You were at the bottom of the food chain, the bottom of the totem pole. You were, without, you were without privilege or power, and you lived in poverty. In fact, most of the time, you had to work a second job. You had to work even through the night just to make ends meet for your family. And that's what these shepherds are doing. They're working in the night. And yet, verse 9 says that the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Not to Caesar. Not to the governor. Those have long since been forgotten in the narrative. No, to shepherds. What does it look like to be loved by God? to be cared for by God, to receive His grace and favor. Does it look like power and privilege and wealth and status? For shepherds, it looked like working overtime. And that's where God appeared to him. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom, James 2 5. And and notice when God chose to reveal himself to the shepherds. Verse 8 says it was when they were keeping watch over their flock by night. In other words, he revealed himself to them when they were at work. Now, if you're looking at 2017 and you're thinking how God is going to meet you and where he's going to meet you, My guess is that most of us do not expect to meet God and for him to reveal himself to us at work. I mean, work, for some of us, that that secular sphere where we have power and control and God is really unconcerned with, and so we're not going to meet him there. Work doesn't really have anything to do with our faith. Um, For others of us, uh, we don't expect to meet God at work because work is that place of deep shame. Work's that place where we don't feel like we can be enough or do enough and we're never enough and so we either feel like imposters on the one hand or failures on the other and so we don't expect to meet God there. Or maybe we don't expect to meet God in our work because let's be honest, work is just that place of distraction, busyness, headache. Work keeps me from time with God, time alone with God. But God, he reveals himself to these shepherds when they're at work. And it's not an uncommon thing for God to do. He comes to Moses when he is shepherding sheep. He comes to Gideon when he was threshing. He comes to Elisha when he was plowing. God meets people right when they're doing the mundane things of their work. It's actually pretty common. And yet we don't expect to see him there, do we? And yet that's where he reveals himself. And so fathers and mothers, we have to stop seeing our kids as a distraction from a relationship with God. Our kids and the busyness of having a young family is not a distraction. That's where God meets us. That's where he reveals himself to us. New teachers, your new lesson preps, They are not a distraction from time with God. They are not something that keeps you from time with God or from Him revealing Himself to you there in your relationship with Him. Nurses, those 12-hour shifts and the franticness of the ER, the birthing room, That does not keep you from knowing and sensing God's presence. No, that is where he reveals his presence to you. Managers, those personnel headaches, that is not something that keeps you from God, from sensing him and knowing him and his work and presence and love in your life. Engineers, those technology problems those deadlines and the impossible tasks that you're given. Those are not things that keep you from God. But it's in those things that God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to the shepherds when they were at work. Notice also that he revealed himself to them when they were in darkness. Verse 8 says, "...they were keeping watch over their flock by night." And considering the great deal of symbolic import that light and darkness have in the birth narratives of Jesus and in the promises of the Messiah's coming, I don't think that that is a coincidence. It's very significant. The light shines in the darkness. The glory shines around them at night. Notice it's not light instead of darkness, which most of us think. It's light in the darkness, in the midst of the darkness. See, the Messiah, when he came, he was supposed to put an end, an end to poverty, an end to loss, an end to pain, an end to crying, an end to to loneliness, an end to crucifixion. And yet God appears, and the Messiah comes, and the shepherds are still poor. And Joseph and Mary are still marginalized. Mary still weeps and a sword still pierces her heart. Rome is still ruling. God appears and Jews are still uh, uh, terrorized. God appears and people are still crucified. Herod, right after this, slaughters all all the Jewish children. And the Messiah has arrived. The light has come and we will read about another crucifixion, about crucifixion, the most prominent one in our world, at the end of this gospel. The Messiah comes, and there are still all these things. And Mary weeps. So, maybe God being with him doesn't mean an end to poverty or pain. Maybe God being with us means his presence and peace in the midst of poverty and pain. The light shines in the darkness. It was at night that he revealed himself. The glory shone around them. Nothing changes, and yet everything changes because the Messiah has come. I spoke earlier of 2016. Some of you can think back to moments of 2016 where you experienced deep darkness I can. A year ago today, we lost a child. Deep darkness. And the pain is real, and the sobbing happened earlier this week. Deep darkness. And so we hope, and we look in 2017, and I think for most of us, what we hope for, what God being with us and present and his love and being for us, what it means is that he will change those things, that it will be different. And it will be different because we think maybe we'll have another year. Maybe we'll have a year without loss. Maybe we'll have a year without pain. Maybe we'll have a year without suffering. Maybe we'll have a year without health battles. Maybe we'll have a year where family life is smooth and swimming. Maybe we'll have a year without a job loss. Maybe we'll have a year without financial struggle. Maybe we'll have that, and then I'll know that God is with me and that he's for me and that he loves me. That's it. Or maybe we'll have a year with gain. Maybe we'll have a year where we we get a new relationship, a spouse, a child. Maybe we'll have a year where we get a promotion, a retirement. But I think this shows us that the light shines in the darkness and that maybe we are expecting something that's the wrong thing. We want a sign. Give us a sign, God, that you are with us and that you are for us. And what, sign, what would the sign look like? We want a sign and a wonder that God is at work. What sign did God give them? Look at verses 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. This will be the sign. Be ready for the sign and the wonders and the miracle. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And they went immediately. And they found that baby there. That baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and and lying in a manger. And what did he look like? What did this baby look like? We all know, don't we? Radiant beams from thy holy face. Have you ever seen a newborn baby like that? We have no indication in the scriptures that there were radiant beams coming from his holy face. And I know this isn't going to be popular to say, but what they saw was a little newborn baby. I know this isn't going to be popular, and I know it makes me sound really cruel, but I'm just going to say it. This is not a six month old baby, they are cute. This is not even a three-month-old baby. They are getting cute. This is a newborn baby. They kind of look like aliens, okay? And not only that, they're crying. Like, you love them because they're yours, right? Uh, But this is not even the cleaned, washed-off, sanitized, cottage-hospital-born baby. This is a baby that was born... in a stable, and laid in a feeding trough. And that's the sign they got. This is the sign that God is with them, that he works with them. And how did, how did he appear helpless, poor, crying? and that's not even to say what happened before then you see because that's how he appeared to the shepherds how did he appear to joseph and mary we don't read anything about you no know, nurses we don't read anything about folks that would be there to help deliver the child I don't know that Joseph delivered him, but he probably did, and he was right there. And when God first appeared to Joseph, where did he meet him? And what did he look like? He was bruised and blue he was helpless and held. He was gasping for breath. And where? And he was covered with body fluid and blood. And where did he meet him? Did you know that in the, um, in the Jewish scriptures, body fluids especially those that come in birth or have to do with birth or have to do with conception, well, they make one unclean. You can't actually go into the temple if you've experienced that. You have to actually have a a period of uncleanness because if that's happened, you can't be close to God. And yet, where did Joseph meet God? Where did God appear to Joseph? Joseph and that place where jesus came from you know that's the place that eve and adam that's the place that they covered after they had sinned that's the place where they held their deepest symbolic shame and that's where joseph met god what about you isn't that where you met him isn't that where you initially met God? A lot of us, we are running from our, those places of shame. We are trying to put them away and not deal with them. And in 2017, we are going to continue to deny them. But, but that's where Joseph met God. That's where God appeared to Joseph. And... And that's where he appeared to all of us who have known him. I mean, isn't that where you first met God? How did he look? Isn't that first where you were convinced that God was with you and for you and loved you? Wasn't he bruised and bloody and covered with body fluid and held up? And gasping for breath, and crying out in God-forsakenness, and meeting you at your place of deepest shame. See, the Messiah—he was—he was was supposed to conquer the Gentiles and and break their hearts. How could he do it in this place of weakness and bruised and bloody? It just didn't seem right. It didn't seem like what they expected. And he was supposed to use a cross to break the Gentiles. But wait. Maybe that's exactly what he did. Hanging there on the cross. Bruised and bloody. Helpless and gasping for breath covered in body fluid, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there, a Gentile Roman centurion looked up and said, surely this is the Son of God. That is how he conquers Gentiles. That is how he breaks their hearts and woos them to himself. It's also how he raises Israel up. This is our God. It's strength and weakness. It's darkness in light. It's, it's God speaking in the silence. And it's in the greatest moment of God forsakenness, God, forsakenness, God being present. That's where God appears. That's where God reveals himself. That's where he and how he works. And so if I can if I can give you one suggestion for a resolution for 2017. Expect God in unexpected places. Cuz that's exactly where he appears.